Good morning, good morning. Oh my goodness, Sunday morning has come around again so fast. Uh, you are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM on a bit of a rainy morning. Imagine that. And interesting that it should be raining this morning when we're going to talk about farmers and the drought. Now, if you haven't joined us before, I'm going to say welcome. You've joined us to listen to a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people, people in our community and people beyond who share with us their experiences, their decision-making and consequences, and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. By discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share, we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives and in our community and develop programs that found more sustainable, loving and heartfelt ways to be with each other, thereby improving our mental and our physical health. My show today is a Father's Day special all about the farmers. Chris Ifland, who I'm going to introduce you to, is a fifth generation farmer. He has been uh, living on his fam well, his family have, have owned a property for 135 years in Urimba, 80 kilometers southeast of Dubbo. And he's going to be sharing with us today what it's like to be a farmer. But all the way through my interview, one of the things that Chris spoke about on and off um, air was the pressure to perform. And I really understood that the pressure that fathers have on their shoulders to provide is added to when the income is dependent on the cycles of nature. And clearly we're going to see the repercussions of this drought run through the emotional and the physical lives of the farmers. So um, he, Chris lives on a farm with his wife and his family. His eldest son is a sixth generation and keen to follow in his father's footsteps, but it's an interesting dilemma. Well, the history of the property um, has been a long while. Actually, I'm fifth generation and my children are six. So it's the 138 years this year that the property has been um, within our family. Um, and I've been back here for 27 years. So in that time, you must have seen a fair few changes in weather patterns. But this one, this one's different, isn't it? I have, yeah, because um, it was definitely climate change has had an impact and it, I believe it's been, you know, well, obviously it's been around since the start of time. Um, but as it, when I grew up as a young kid on the property, um, I think it's more we did have, it's not so much, um, we had dry times then as well, but the spells weren't as long. So the the impact that's happened on the environment out here is is you get a whole heap it either pours or it doesn't so before i when i went to uni i did a um a thesis on this on rainfall patterns and we generally got 51 percent in the winter and 49 percent in the in the summer months so summer spring winter autumn and by the 90s that had changed to 66 um uh yeah 66 34% in 66 in the summer and 34% through the winter. So um, that's a massive change yeah. for us to, to deal with. 
the rainfall that I recorded back then was between Cumnock and us, which is a 20-kilometre radius. But I believe it has, you know, like talking to people in in agriculture and that have been in farming a long while, they do seem to see the patterns change. Um, and, and that does obviously have to change the way you farm and, and um, impacts on your business. But this is unusual, isn't it? Because this one has gone on for much longer. So even though you're used to adapting your farming, there's something, this, this one just has been longer and drier and now there's the, the problem of... Um, of much more longer term, a longer term to longer time, I should say, to actually pick up out of it as well. This is, we're in uncharted waters. This is unforeseen for me and um, I do have neighbours around me that have experienced um, a lot more, you know, dry times than me and they're saying this is unforeseen. Like the guy at the front, he's 83 and he said he's never experienced anything like this either. So he's obviously... Um, seen a lot of changes as well. Um, the, the big difference with this drought is that its impact is so wide and it's just so long. And so your resort, it drains every resource. It drains, it drains you mentally, it drains you financially, it drains you um, your animal welfare. Um, and then because it's so widespread, it, there's no relief. And, and that's uncharted waters. Like, there's been other droughts like 82 that have been severe, but we only had to go 160, uh, 200 kilometres, and they were having a great season. And obviously farmers within the agricultural industry will help each other, so they will adjust livestock. Um, and that's probably the best option in drought conditions if you can find adjustment, which has always been available. The 66, 65 droughts, um, obviously, I wasn't about, but um, I've heard from other people that there was, uh, I think that it was 73% in drought then of the state was in drought, but there were still pockets where they could um, still take adjusted stock and still be harvesting crops, and and um, so that would give you some relief. I mean, this has just exceeded all those droughts because... None of us in this area, including parts of Queensland and Victoria and all of New South Wales, are going to be, even if we do scrape in crops, it's just going to be so minimal. It'll be just to, um, you know, replant again. There, there'll be no significant amount. That's, that's what we're facing and there won't be any fodder made. So we're looking at going into another year without any resources and, and that's a huge unforeseen circumstance. You explained to me about um, livestock and what impact that has and how important it is because the, that, it, that has a, um, a cycle of three years. Is that correct? Yeah, well, in, we do sheep and wool. So the impact on your livestock is, is like, obviously, um, you have a genotype and a phenotype, and a phenotype is, is affected um, by environment. So... The lambs that are born in the drought and the calves that are born in the drought are never going to reach their full potential. Now, if they're a ewe lamb, they, they never cut as much wool, so they, they're probably their wool cut will be reduced by 18 to 25 percent, maybe. Um, and those ewes, if you're a, a self-replacing flock, those ewes will be in your flock for anywhere from three to four years. So that's an impact that you're going to have 18 percent two years of your 
progeny because 17, 18 seem bad, and if we go into 19, that'll be three years. So people don't realise that that's a reduced wool clip that whole time. Plus, it'll be yeah. reduced when they get sold because they won't be as big and have grown structurally out to what they normally do. Now, this will pass on to cattle as well. Your heifers won't grow out as much, so they won't weigh as much, so you won't um, uh, get as much for them at the end of their cycle of, 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 as a breeding cow. And whilst they are a breeding cow, if they are born into drought, they don't get to the weight to cycle properly, so you get they don't get in calf as quick. They don't, um, a lot of them won't get in calf um, for a long period of time, maybe till two-year-old or, or going on to two-and-a-half-year-old, which then um, reduces, your in, obviously, your income for another year or two years. Yeah. So it will be ongoing for three to five years, this drought, and the ripple effect will be seen throughout rural areas um, for a long while that we haven't seen before. And that's if the, if the drought breaks. So the longer the drought goes on, the longer that timeline goes on. Is that correct? That's just, yeah. So it extends just further. And there's an old saying, and, and I've seen this before, you know, one year of drought is like three years recovery. And, and that was an old saying. And we're already going here in this area, you know, our longest drought really, which I've seen, was was intensified for about nine to ten months. And this one, really, the rain here stopped. We had a very wet 2016 winter. The rain stopped basically September um, 2016. We had two inches in October, which got us through October 16, which got us through into summer. Um, but we had a very hot summer, that hot, windy summer, which really drained what subsoil moistures were were in the soil from the wet winter. Yeah. Then we had a, and this is what I've found over the over a period of time, we tend to get a lot of rain and everyone thinks that's fine. And in March 2017, we had actually five inches in a day. And people say, oh, well, five inches is great. But what happens is the soil saturated and that all runs off. So, and it's also damaging, you know, the major thing that we have to, no matter whether you, you grow vegetables, crops, sheep, cattle, whatever, um, walnuts, we all have to, um, the main ingredient in that, in growing all that in agriculture is your soil. So, you know, you have to keep that healthy and you have to, and five inches of rain on top of it, you know, saturates it, washes it, your topsoil, your humus away. Um, so that's another problem on top and then October 17 we had another inch and then we haven't had an inch since so that's been the circumstances that we've been facing. How are you and uh, farmers around you coping from a mental health point of view? Um, that's a difficult question because I find um, community farming communities that you know we all know each other but I think it's still very much that um, Sometimes it's two subjects where people would rather, um, you know, keep that bottle and, and in, rather than expressing it. Um, yeah. So I can only really speak for myself. Um, and there's been stages this time where definitely, because my children range from 21, 6 and 2, and I know um, it's a different drought again because social media plays a role in this drought, which I've never experienced before. And, 
and the younger generation coming on is definitely influenced by that social media and, and you know, some so much of it is positive but some's negative and yeah. and, and so that's having an impact and it also has an impact on us that are you know, the parents and the yeah. people who are meant to be the the guidance. Um, but me myself, um, yeah, you have you, you we definitely are, are having more down days, but you know, it's another day. You 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 get up and, and you find something positive and one big positive of late has just been the you know, just the outpouring of, of care and, and that from people in, in city regions, in outside of the rural regions and that really builds your spirit and gives you that incentive to, to go, well, you know, I am doing something that that is being noticed and being appreciated, so we'll keep fighting another day. You have kept us fed for many years. You are very much appreciated. And I, I think the saddest thing is it's taken this long for us all to let you know how appreciated you are because perhaps before now there was this constant concern about um, the cost of uh, food and rather than actually seeing that we were it was important that we support an industry that's close to home yeah and I think uh, one thing that I've seen over the years like has been a disconnect and it's it's no one's fault it's just a disconnect between rural and city it's like I remember when I was a kid it was every holidays my city cousins would come and you know they would learn to They'd watch a shearer sheep, they'd watch us potty lambs, they'd watch us potty cars. And that gave them an insight into to how rural life was. You know, like I remember one of my cousins saying to me, and he's now a, an art teacher and in Sydney, and I came in, I think he was a few years younger than me, so I might have been nine and he might have been six. And I remember coming in and saying to him, and Simon remembers this, but you can't leave the tap running, you can't leave the tap running. And, you know, um, Paul Simon had no idea that, you know, this was an issue. And um, and now that, that we don't, like, we don't have that connection as much, I suppose we travel abroad, we go overseas and we choose to, to go to different destinations. It's, it's not like you go, well, let's go to our cousin's farm or whatever, We let's go to another beach or let's go to a to, um, you know, Fiji or some, some other area. Yeah. Um, I suppose that that connection is being, you know, longer and longer and, and, and disconnected, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You mentioned about your 21-year-old and the impact of social media. What What's he finding? I think the um, biggest thing is um, he, he really wants to be involved in agriculture and he's... I'm very proud of him. He's like got a lot of potential. Like, um, you know, he's very good with animals. Like, he, he he's good at breaking in bulls for shows. He's great at breaking in horses. He he breaks in dogs for people. You know, to working dogs. You know, teaches yeah. them to muster cattle and sheep. So he wants a career in agriculture. But he, he's finding, and especially over the last 18 months, it's, it's been creeping in with his crowd. Obviously, you know, he's realizing that. Gee, you know, like. Um, the bloke he's working for, this has impact on, on his job and the guy who he's working for and, and he's seeing, you know, livestock um, as he has as a child grow up and seeing them do it tough. But the, the difference is with social media comes into it, he sees the negative 
And, and because they are brought up with social media, it plays a role in their life, and we can't just say turn it off because it's part of their life. And I suppose when emotion's running high in drought, he's finding it difficult. He, he said to me, Dad, you know, what is the future for agriculture? If, if, you know, there is negativity there and it seems to be building, it's still a minority, but is it going to get more and more? And I said, well, I, I can't answer that question. But it was difficult to see a young bloke with so much potential having to deal with that in, a, in, in, in circumstances that we're facing at the moment. It's, yeah. it's just pressure for the younger generation. Oh, look, I, I hope that what he sees, um, what he sees, the, the rallying around and the potential and the actually strategic thinking about what to do and how to move forward he may be very well best placed to, to actually take farming or look to the future of farming in a different way. Very much so. That's good advice. And I suppose he'll learn that at 21. We all, you know, like have a lot of development and a lot of life experiences to, to deal with, you know, like to get through. Um, it's just, I suppose, at the present time in this situation that, that he's facing, I suppose, like um, at, at a... Younger generation are just feeling more pressure from that, I suppose, and, it, yeah. and an impact on their, you know, it, it just impacts on their decision making. And, mm. and at the moment, decisions can be very crucial. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Chris, I don't want to keep you. You've been amazing. Thank you so much for giving us an insight. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you for allowing me to have have a talk, have a voice. You are indeed listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Today's show is obviously recognising Father's Day, but also it's a farming special. We're really focusing on what it must be like for those farmers uh, living the day to day out in the um, in in the dust. Um, it's slightly ironic that it's raining out there today because the reality is that it's going to take a long time to turn around some of the issues that we've seen. Now, um, obviously, we just heard from Chris Ifland, our fifth generation farmer. One of the um, one of the initiatives and, and one of the groups that's doing most to help the farmers at the moment is um, Rotary, and I'm joined now by Neil McWarrell, who is a past president um, and is a member of the Rotary Club of Warunga. And Neil is heading up a Rotary initiative. Neil, welcome to Triple H. Hi, Lucy. Thank you very much for the invitation, and uh, happy Father's Day to all your guests. Yes, no fathers are left behind today. Now, could you possibly explain to us how the Rotary Club of Wurunga has joined with a larger Rotary organisation to actually make a difference in some of these farmers' lives? Thanks, Lucy. Um, yes, just first as to why Rotary, you've seen it on the television and so on, why Rotary is being chosen as the portal uh, for general donations. Now, there are over 66,000 charities in Australia, and my observation is people are becoming uh, quite sceptical about some of their practices, and unfortunately justifiably so. And whilst many of them do great things, there is an incredible amount of duplication, hoarding of massive corpuses, administrative costs to run each of the machines. And, and yet Rotary is an organisation of current and past professionals wanting to serve and give back, and they have virtually zero costs. So all the money goes directly to the cause. Um, your your um, listeners might be interested to know that Rotary almost single-handedly has wiped the scourge of polio off the globe. Uh, there used to be 
three or four hundred thousand cases a year, and I'm sure many of your listeners will will know of people who are affected by that. And yet now, uh, last year, I think there were 20 or 30 cases, and they were in northern Afghanistan and um, uh, and um, Pakistan, where unfortunately our uh, assistance can't get to. So. We do great things around the world. We don't blow our trumpet, but um, people realise that Rotary is a, a trusted brand, and so we've stepped up to assist uh, with the um, with the drought, the terrible drought that's affecting our country. In our little club, uh, we realised that we couldn't solve the issue on our own, um, but we wanted to make a real difference in one particular area with real control on the funds that were being generated. So we chose the district of Narrabri. Um, it's been really severely affected by the drought. But there is a local Rotary Club there which we're working with and they can identify the specific and real needs and address them immediately. That's fabulous. So it's rather than having money siphoned off by by um, organisations that need to pay for staff, which is totally understandable, yeah. or some, some um, unfortunate... Uh, rotting that can go on we're going to talk about a little bit about that later but for what the rotary club of warunka can do is partner with and with a local rotary club obviously the narrabri one but i mean that also provides support for people in that community on an emotional level not just financial level because the the city folk are saying to the country folk we stand with you yes absolutely and again um most of the projects Rotary supports are sustainable projects. So rather than give, give someone money, we'd prefer them, if, if, uh, if they're in a third world country, to um, build a, an irrigation system or what have you, or provide them with education. But in this instance, there are real and immediate needs, and uh, there are families that are, are struggling to put food on the table and um, educate their children and so on. So with the help of the local Narrabri Club, we're specifically identifying those needs and, and making that immediate assistance that is so desperately required. Will this campaign go on for um, a long time or is there a, a, um, a start and end for it? Well, you touched on it when you introduced me that uh, whilst it's wonderful that it's raining today and there's been a, a little bit of recent rain in the drought-affected areas, um, that is really just wetting the dust and uh, there needs to be ongoing sustainable rain in order to germinate the seeds and then a period of three or four months before any food at all is available for the, the stock to eat. So it is going to take a while. Um, there have been some significant government initiatives, um, both state and, and federally, but that doesn't solve a lot of the, um, these personal issues that you've touched on, the, the mental health issues, the, the families with the real and immediate needs. And uh, that's where we're hoping we can make a, a little difference. As to the tenure of our, our program, again, uh, we've we're probably going to fundraise again for the next month or so and uh, a number of our club members have recently been out to Narrabri, uh, developed a close relationship with the club out there, seen the real needs and, uh, and now we're going to try and, um, and use the, the rotary machine to um, multiply the, the, the money that we've been able to raise and make the, the most difference we can. And again, appreciating that we can't solve the problem, but we hope we can make a, a tangible difference to a, a particular area. Now, I've been part of the teams that have gone out and done some fundraising, but it is extraordinary what the people in Hornsby and Kuringai are doing, isn't it? Because um, though I, I wasn't part of a team that went to the train station to collect uh, last week, but it had an amazing outcome, didn't it, Neil? It did. Um, people have been very generous. Um, they realised that there's a real need. 
And again, um, using the Rotary brand, people realise that if they're giving through Rotary, that trusted organisation, that it is actually going to go to the cause. That there isn't going to be huge administrative costs. Um, you know, some charities, um, and again, they do great work, but some are spending huge percentages on actually raising the dollar or advertising to put their name at the, the forefront of people's minds. Uh, Rotary doesn't do that. We just quietly work behind the scenes, and uh, any money that goes, people can be assured that all of it is going to go to the cause. Um, so it's, Rotary's a terrific organisation to be part of. Our little club in Wurunga has never been stronger, um, and you're one of our great members who does great things in our local community. So people are wanting to, to give back. We live pretty fortunate lives up here on the North Shore, and um, so Rotary allows people to, to give back, to put service above self, and um, it's a great community to, to be part of. Thank you so much, Neil. Now, how can people um, donate their money if they want to do it online, just if, if by some chance they're not in Hornsby or in Warunga and get um, caught in one of our um, amazing initiatives to fundraise via the bucket? Well, we've tried to make it quite simple. So Warunga Rotary, that one word, org, and on our website there's a do- Donate Now button, and uh, any money that's provided through there, it's fully tax-deductible. Again, the government realises that uh, Rotary is a, is a, is a trusted value uh, association or organisation and they've given us that uh, ability to um, provide tax, deductib- tax deductibility for any funds that go through our, uh, our foundation. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Neil. I look forward to um, doing a follow-up and letting people know how we go in a few weeks' time. But Lucy, thank you for your interest and support, not only for the drought and what you're doing for the community, I know you're involved heavily in um, mental health on the North Shore and uh, women's issues and men's issues. You're just a wonderful Rotarian, a great example of what people in Rotary can do. So we thank you and, and wish all your listeners a really happy day. Thank you so much. Enjoy your Father's Day and long may it continue. <laughs> Thanks, Lucy. <laughs> Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Today's show has been a farming special on Father's Day. So the reason why I put those two together, other than the fact that they both begin with F, is I was really touched by the pressure that fathers live with to provide, that it becomes this ache of, you know, oh, you want to provide them with everything perhaps you that you didn't have or everything that you wished they'd had or all of these things, but there is a financial pressure that goes with that. And I was really aware that... As a farmer, your income is based on the land and the cycles, the patterns and the cycles. And a lot of it has um, comes as a consequence of the way we're behaving in, in human life, you know, what we're doing to the land and what we're maybe affecting with the weather patterns and everything else. So it just felt to me like a very natural combination We've been speaking to Chris Ifland, our farmer in Yurimba, and we just heard from Neil about what the Rotary Club of Wurunga is doing to support the people on the ground. But I have two guests in the studio now, two fathers on Father's Day. Can I say thank you for being here straight away? I've just realised that one of my guest mics is facing up to the sky and actually not facing him whatsoever. So I'm like, that's much better. Um, All right, so I'll introduce you to to our guest. Hugh is a farmer himself. Um, There is a lot that Hugh does 
that I don't actually know about. I just know that whenever I say a sentence to him, he has so much information ready to tell me. It's He's a scientist. It's evident that he's got so much evidence. If he doesn't know it, he knows where to find it. And what I feel Hugh's going to bring for us today is an understanding of what it's like to be a farmer as a farmer himself, but also the infrastructure that is really where we've got to start thinking after we're working with the with the um, immediate effect of supporting farmers who are really struggling with that day to day. So welcome, Hugh. Uh, thank you, Lucy. I'm actually I'm a career investment banker as well. Oh my yeah. lord. Okay, well, there's a long list. It's a lot to go into that one. Chris Savile has been on the show before. Uh, Chris Savile um, has a, a business called United Tradies. He runs his Make a Difference Day. And Chris actually went up to meet our farmer, Chris. Now, I'm going to let him tell you why, if he, if, if that's appropriate. Um, but also, he's going to tell you what it was like to be on the land and work as a farmhand for a couple of days. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Lucy. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Um, I heard about Chris from Lucy at a Rotary uh, meeting the other week and uh, immediately wanted to reach out and and speak to him because over the few uh, past few weeks there's a lot of stuff going through my head about the farmers and and what can I do and you know and how can we help them um, so I decided I needed to speak to someone who was actually on the ground doing that day day by day and obviously the opportunity to reach out to Chris was was there, so I made the call uh, on, I think we had the meeting on the Wednesday at the Rotary and I called him Thursday, we'd done phone tag during the day, eventually got hold of him and we had a, a half an hour call. Um, and I have to say, in that half an hour, I probably spent 29 minutes of that in tears. Um, like a, a lot of people that I speak to, and bear in mind, when I'm not in a com uh, farming community, I deal with tradies and, and the public, a lot of people seem not to realise how bad this really is out there. And uh, to my great shame, probably five, six weeks ago, I didn't, you know, you, you hear the words, oh, they go for it every year, you know, they have droughts and blah, blah, blah. And you think, OK, that's farming, it's tough. But this one is something different, or it appears to be something different. And uh, so I decided I would, I said to Chris, look, I told him what we'd done. I said, I want to help you. Um, and he said, stop there. <clears throat> and he said, um, you've done enough already. The fact that you've reached out, you don't know me, I've never met you, and you want to come and help us as a farm. He said, he's enough. <laughs> and I said, well, no, he's not. We, we need to do more than that. So we uh, went up on Thursday of this week, just gone. Uh, I, I took my best friend, who was very versed in camping and uh, living rough. <laughs> yeah, it's going uh, I, I found out very quickly when I uh, phoned around trying to find a, a motel or a B&B &B to stay in, and they've all gone out of business. Yeah. And, and then that's the effect of yeah. the, the issues for the farmers. Um, so camping looked like the option we, we had. And uh, Jim said, when was the last time you camped? I went, I think I was 14. Yeah. <laughs> so we went and it was an absolute amazing journey and an amazing um, experience. And I met Chris and his family, young family, and I just was, well, we both were in awe of this young couple, you know, what they faced every day. Um, I couldn't do it. 
I, I really could not do it. Uh, and I believe farmers are like nurses. They are they're born to do it. Mm. It's not something we... It's a calling, if mm. you like. Mm. Um, uh, but it was incredible. And uh, we just stood back and watched this couple do what they had to do every single day. And to them, it was the norm. But it, it to me, was very much not the norm, you know. I remember them saying to me that uh, the, the, the struggle they have is every night they lie in bed and it's where that next feed for the cattle's coming from. Yep. And from the interview we heard, and we'll hear more from Hugh, you know, that it's not just about that that the cattle that they have in that moment. They have to keep that cattle fed. But the the there is a generational issue with the cattle in terms of them having babies. Hugh, can you tell us a little bit more about the consequence of cattle that aren't fed properly and then go on to reproduce? Yes, I, I actually had the opportunity to speak to a, a friend of ours who has a, a farm out in uh, near Lismore, um, ours is up in Ballingen, so it's a fairly wet area of uh, New South Wales. Uh, Lismore's a little bit drier, but not as bad as out west. Mm. And the, uh, this lady, uh, she's a vet, and uh, she told me that one of the biggest problems you have up there is the farmers like to uh, manage their, their, their livestock so that they produce the best offspring, and they spend a lifetime doing this. And unfortunately, when droughts like this come along... Uh, the, the the feed stock the feed stock is is uh, is is run off the the water is scarce and of course they have to do things to cattle that they don't normally uh, do and I'm, and, I, and she said to me that includes shooting them it's a horrible mm. thing um, or selling them off cheap to to somebody else and who knows what they'll do with them but the the calves end up being uh, undernourished uh, they she describes them as being stunted. And this becomes an intergenerational problem for the for their cattle, and this is heartbreaking for many of these uh, farmers who put their life into this. And they say, "I can't start this over again." It is absolutely heartbreaking. So, one of the things that is important to these people, also, if I may just add this, is is getting them counselling. Mm. Uh, often these farmers are quite remote. It's a long way to your nearest neighbour, yes. and uh, and they've got nobody to speak to. And your partner. Um, often is working on the farm with you and the family, even the, you know, the offspring. So it's a real problem. Uh, no one to talk to and they're all suffering the same thing. That's something that's, that Chris talked about because I said, are you all helping each other? And he said, no, we don't really talk to each other about it. And again, you know, I, I'm obviously the female in the room with two males, but men don't seem to talk. All the statistics talk about men not talking um, and then it becomes a real crisis and then they break down and they have to talk about it. But actually, if we can encourage them to talk about the small stuff, um, and actually this is big stuff, but at least it's not crisis point. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of e-mental health resources out there. There's a lot of online counselling that they can have. Lifeline are a great number to always have at your fingertips. 13, 11, 14, you know, just if nothing else to discuss their well-being for wellness program or to get further resources in your local area. But starting the conversation and having that counselling for them, for their wife, for their children is just crucial. Well well picked up, you. And I'd, I'd just like to mention too, I I got a little little fact about how far does a bale of hay go. Yes. 
And I asked this vet and she said, you know, depends, of course, what, what other uh, uh, supplements you add to it. It could be urea, um, grains or, or uh, molasses. But generally, one bale of hay will just last one adult cow two to three days. And wow. they have a limit in this local store in Lismore, this, this selling farm produce, two bales a day per customer. Goodness. Right, that's just not much, Think is about it? it. If you've got thousands how, of cows. Yeah, how many cows did Chris have, did you find out? I think he was around 150 mark. It right. would have been a wow. double that. Okay, well, you Normal. think about that for yeah. a bale of hay. Okay, you're the mathematician. Any vague idea how much you would need in a week? Oh, for, for what, 150? I, I think it was around that, yeah. that mark, yes. Okay, so it's two or three days. For, for a week, it's yeah. a couple of, say, three, three uh, uh, bales per cow yeah. times 150. Yeah. There you go. That's uh, huge. That's 400, that's... 500 bales. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's they're not cheap bales, are they? And because you can only all of a sudden they're. Two bales from the local yes. store. Yeah. Limited yeah. Yes. customer. Yeah. And um, I know that they're putting up the price of the bales now because, you know, they're obviously short supply. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, look, I, I was talking to Lucy before the show came on. Look, um, it's absolutely crucial that we support our farmers. There are a lot of farmers doing it tough out there. And I know, like, a lot of things in Australia that we experience, there are rorts. And yes, there are people who are getting benefits from the drought relief that shouldn't be taken advantage of. But we, but unfortunately, the reality is we have a lot of farmers who are doing it tough. Yeah. And for the sake of those farmers, we have to sort out the other issue by addressing in the future, we've got to address how to how to manage properly yes. in this country. Yeah. And one of our biggest problems in Australia, and I've made this point for, for many years now, is that we have appalling management at government level. Yes. And if you think about it, we have eight different legislatures in Australia governing 25 million people. That's the population Crazy. of the state of New York. <laughs> Can you imagine if they were governed by eight different legislatures? It doesn't work and we need to have a look at We need levels of government but we can't, I have a word for it, not duplicate but octivate. Octivate, we octivate I like it. Uh, legislation so many times over. It's ridiculous. We have to sort it. We have to become... Uh, um, modernised and, uh, and and address things so that we can manage properly and don't waste. We've squandered a lot of money in, in, in Australia from the mining boom and all that, from the agriculture booms. We need to do it. The other thing which I'd like to mention is farmers need to learn management, hmm. uh, strategy management. And a lot of farmers that I, I know of have never done courses. There are courses available. I've checked them out and they're good ones. So we have to encourage our farmers. I, I'm, to do professional to development. Do this, but the real problem is, of course, it's a 24-7 job yes. on the farm. Mm -hmm. yes. So how do you get them out to do courses for a year or whatever? We have to work something out on this because farmers do need strategic management. We are the land of drought and flooding plains. Yes. And I know that people have got into climate change and all that stuff but hey that's been around for probably a century i think that was written probably 100 years ago <laughs> we are still that we're not america we don't have iowa and tennessee and all that stuff we need water management in this country big time we've got tropical rains up in queensland north queensland and northern territory we have the great snowy scheme we've started it 
We need to get that water stored and piped down to where we need it. Yeah. We'll never. We'll always have the red heart, but our our food bowl, which is Western New South Wales as well as the coastal areas, New and Queensland and South Australia, Victoria, Tassie, of course, we need that. We need that big time. And if I tell you something about, we don't be importing our our fresh fruit and veggie veggies from China. I go up to Hong Kong a lot, and believe me, the people up there tell me. They don't buy either their fruit and veggies from China. They get it from they fly in from Australia or Europe. So we're lucky. We're, we're the lucky country. We've got our food here. Wow. We need to keep it here. We've got to support our farmers. <laughs> now Absolutely. you made a really good point about um, people having time off and people mm. being able to to have time off to go and educate. And this is something. This is where you felt that you could give a little bit back, Chris. Yes, didn't you? I, I think um, I, you know, I'm unlike this. Nice gentleman next to me. I don't have all the uh, skill sets, and uh, I was not an investment banker and a scientist and, and stuff like that. But I'm a very practical man, and so I always have a practical head on these things. and And I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, and I looked at the websites, and and it's amazing what communities are doing for the farmers. You know, they're putting money there. They're they're getting parcels out for the children and the dog food, and, and it's incredible. And and the I, obviously, I can only talk from my experience of seeing Chris and being there, and and that is so so appreciated. But the one thing I I I, I didn't see, and I'm not saying it's not happening, but I certainly didn't see it was no one's actually going to the farmers, going, you know what, I'll come and work with you, I'll come and work the fields with you, mm. you know, and just give them that little bit of break that you know they don't have to worry about those. 10 jobs that they've got to do that day they can concentrate on the three really important ones and you know get the bodies up there mm. so the whole initiative that i'm trying to put together with for you know led by united Trades is um to get as many people mobilized and go up and help not just one farm 10 farms 15 farms yes. 20 farms as yes. many people and you know i've spoken to our, some of our tradies that you know there's I need electricians, I need plumbers, I need uh, fencers, mm. handymen, anyone who can use a Did you a mention tool? plumbers? Yes, I did mention plumbers. Excellent. <laughs> I think they're very important yeah, they, people and you leave it to the last minute yeah, and then it's very messy. Yeah. And we all know, you know, in our own life, you know, you, you go out to hoe, water your plants yeah. and the tap's not working and you think, I must get that fixed. Yeah. And then two weeks later, you'll go out to do the same thing. Oh, I should have got that fixed. Yeah. And farmers... Uh, very much like that. So it breaks down. Yes, they want to get it fixed, but they don't have the time or the money, oh, and they're just yeah. so busy surviving. Can, can I? Can I? Certainly. Can yes, I jump in. But in on this, this is that's a very very good point. And I, I and I've had some personal experience with the uh, with farmers are great mechanics. I mean, they if you think your local uh, car dealer is good at doing it, yeah. you go up to a farm, they'll fix a tractor <laughs> for you. Yeah. Now, one of the things that we we had a big drought even in the Bellingen area and. 1990s through to year 2002, I think it was. And we, we had several water sources up there. Most farmers do that you have dam sources, which runs off from the, either from rainwater or from a creek or, or river. Uh, you also have the, you know, the river creek type uh, water. You get a water license in, a, in, 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 for example, in New South Wales, you pay for that. You can pump water out. Or you can, or you can have uh, rainwater, you know, tanks for domestic... And you can have bore water. You can dig deep, and it's pretty expensive to do that. Mm. One of the things happened in that big drought in the 1990s through to 2000, 
was 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 what city people would have no idea about. The water was from from our spring that fed our dam, and normally that's last for, for you know for decades. It's clear water, beautiful to drink, and so on. And during the drought, it got muddier and muddier. We had to bobcat down more and more just to get to the level of water. But what that does, can you imagine what that does to to your washing machine, to your washing that, you know, mm. that, that you're doing? Your kids' clothes are going, you think, dirty. Yeah, they, they come, come out, out worse. a thousand times dirtier. <laughs> yeah. You can't flush your toilet because it plugs yeah. your loo, yeah. your loo connect, you know, yeah. your, your yes. um, system. You can't have showers because the kids come out dirtier. You wash your hair and you've got more yeah. mud in your hair than you've ever seen in your life. And you can't cook with it. Wow. Look, it's so you filter it. Yeah, people say, oh, filter it. Your filters get clogged too. And that's a very expensive exercise mm. to, to, to replace your filters, which normally have an eight-year life on them. Yep. And you reverse flush the filters to keep them clean. Well, you've got no clean water to reverse flush. So what people do you have do no here? idea how basic the problems can yeah. be. You've done on a farm. something about this though, haven't you, Hugh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we, 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 our neighbour farmer, who's the one I spoke to in Lismore now, she, she's the daughter and she's shifted out and he's retired. Um, we actually shared water supplies. We, we, we built uh, irrigation piping and, and uh, water infrastructure piping between our two properties. And we pumped from our property up to his when his dam ran out. He dug a bore in his property and he shared it with us. Now, that is great sharing amongst farmers. A lot of Absolutely. people don't realise how difficult that is yeah. because you've got long distances. It's not like putting a pipe over your back fence in Sydney suburb of Warunga. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's quite different. And you have to have big irrigation pumps that can yeah. put up a lot of, yeah. pump a lot of water through. So, yes, we, we, we have. And we're actually doing some uh, water infrastructure work right now because that drought is, is, is certainly getting worse. And I'll just make one other point in Australia. We live in the best country in the world. I'll make that point very clear. We have a appalling weather forecasting here and we know what the problem is the federal government knows too it needs to support a big data computer system with algorithms to get decent weather forecasting so many of our farmers say the same thing we're getting weather forecasts we do not know and, and science is not exact by the way so it's hard to predict but we should be able to do a lot better to know what El Nino is doing or La Nina is doing mm. in the Pacific and the Indian Oceans so we can figure out what our rain uh, uh, prospects are. Yeah. And I've got farmers saying, when is the next rain coming? Our weather people have got long-range forecasting, but we have hopeless weather forecasting capabilities in this country. It's not the people who are doing it. It's the, it's the technology. And the federal government has said they are going to upgrade this. Please do it now. My guests this morning are Chris Saville from United Tradies and Hugh Byrne, an investment banker, a farmer, but actually the wisdom that comes through this morning from these two amazing men is all we need to know. Chris, you have been out to see yes. our farmer, Chris. Yep. Um, as a father, how do you think he juggles those two responsibilities? Oh, incredible. Absolutely amazing man. Um, and Hugh mentioned about um, farmers being educated of what they do. This guy was amazing. He he knew everything about seed, the ground, agriculture. He he was he was there. Uh, but I always look to farmers as tough guys, and they are tough. That's why they don't talk and share. Um, 
uh, but I always see them as tough with, with animals. And, and there's them times we'd have to do, because you've got to bear in mind, these are guys that have to put some of these animals down. And, and that's true of Chris's scenario. But I watched this guy. He had two cattle, cows that wouldn't get up off the floor. And he, three times a day, would take a tractor and put chains and things around the, the cow and lift them up and hold them up on the tractor until they got their legs going. And then later in the day, the cows would be down again. There, he said, at the moment, life on, on the farm for a cow is balanced and it changes daily. And he said it is actually measured, it can be measured in minutes and hours rather than days or weeks, whether that cow is going to survive or it's not. But I just see such a tenderness and gentleness in this guy with these two cows and just doing it time after time after time where it would have probably, from a, if someone looked at it cold-heartedly, would have said, put that one down, that one will make it. And, and that are decisions they have to make daily. Uh, and this cow did eventually get up, the other cow got up, and she actually carved while we were there which was amazing and, wow. and and it is those little wins that make a huge difference to these guys and uh, you know getting back to what Hugh was saying uh, you know what we we felt there was it's it's often at the little things with the farmers and it's it's an arm around that shoulder and and just knowing that they can talk to someone that's not you know associated with the farm and and it affected us it really did my, my best friend Jim got in the the car when we left and he said it's changed the way I thought mm. and and that's just been in with them for a very short time and you know I echo Hugh's words we really need to get out there and help these guys forget all the stuff you know for me I'm from Essex so you know you show your fist to me you're going to see my fist you put your arms out for a cuddle you'll get a cuddle mm. you know and, and we wear our hearts on our sleeves and you know, yes, we can debate what's right, what's wrong, but right in front of us is a need and we need to meet that. Hugh, uh, obviously you have, you're have you a farmer and you have how many cattle? Oh, we just have a few. We're, we're a small group and uh, mostly tropical fruits up there. Okay. Mm. So, but as a, as but, a farmer... Mm. Um, you were sharing with us a little bit earlier about the um, the care and love that goes into each and every animal that you look after. Well, th- and Chris was talking about, he talked about how to get feed for the um, animals by taking them and, and boarding them elsewhere. I can't remember the word he used. Adjustment. Adjustment. Can you just explain to us? What goes into, I guess, caring for those for those cattle and some well, of the hard decisions yeah, you have to make. Uh, look, um, you do care for for, for, for all the livestock yeah. on, on on properties, whether it's horses. We have horses and uh, cattle, um, but we're primarily a, a tropical fruit farm. Um, but we do have the other horses and cattle up there. One of the one of the big problems farmers go through is I'm talking about beef cattle or mm. sheep. Obviously, we we don't have sheep. Um, is is you know knowing that these these animals are going to the abattoirs, and I've seen a lot of animal welfare type criticisms. Look, it's it's a it's a tough world because you do get to know your your cattle, particularly when you have a small number yes. of them. Um, look. He, he, Civilization evolved as plant eaters and meat eaters. Um, the time 
is coming now where uh, livestock will actually probably not be needed for eating. Uh, that already in the Netherlands, if I recollect correctly, they produced uh, hamburgers made from artificial meat, which you can dial up on your computer, use big data and so on, and you can produce it from the molecules. The molecules are here all the time. Oh, my and, gosh. And that's the way the world's going to do. And there's another good reason for that. I Most people not. don't realise that it's livestock around the world is the, is the biggest emissions problem. Well, I'm really sorry then. The emissions world. are it. I, but I'm not going to eat a computerised piece of anything. Oh, it's exactly the same. It's, no, uh, it's <laughs> no. Well, I, I mean, what's going into yeah, the... Yeah. What's going to feed the animals now mm. means that mm. what we're going to have in our food chain is actually mm. corrupted because mm. um, feeding bread to cattle to keep them feed, mm. um, fed well means that we're going to have wheat mm. in the mm. meat. Um, but no, I'm, okay. Let's stay off that, Hugh, because that's a that's a rabbit hole. If we could come sure, back and sure. talk about, um, you know, what is it like emotionally to send the cattle to the abattoir? I mean, is that is that something? Well, that they... you, you literally have to um, insulate yourself from that. It's and and it's it's extremely hard to do. I mean, not just cattle. We've had to, like uh, you were pointing out earlier, we, we've we've had to put down horses that mm. got uh, tangled up in barbed wire or too old to feed themselves, and you, you make a decision on the spot. What do you do? It's like mm. having a pet dog. So, you know, mm. sometimes you've got to put a dog down. It's it's extremely difficult to do it, um, and uh, and farmers go to this. Um, but look, it's part of 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 what we of our food bowl, we yeah. we somebody has to do it. Yeah, what would happen <clears throat> if the um, cattle didn't get up? Because I I mean mm. I often mm. see cattle lying down, and in England we had this expression mm. that oh rain. if the cattle are lying down <laughs> it's, it's going to rain. rain. They're they're, <laughs> yeah. they're making sure they've got a, wa- a dry spot yes. to sit on or lie on, <clears throat> not sit on. <laughs> just they've got a dog. <laughs> they don't sit on their haunches like mm. dogs. Mm. Um, so, but what would be the harm? Clearly. There is a life-threatening harm to a cow that is down for another reason oh, other than... Yeah, well, that's, that's why you put, bring a vet in first. Yeah. The vet will tell you. I mean, we, we're lucky. We actually had the daughter of, a, of our neighbour farmer who, yeah. who I spoke to in Lismore, but she was there next to our farm. And we, we always asked her to come over and she would advise us, mm. this, is un- what, this is what I can do to... to Provide med- medication or vaccination, whatever it might be, to help this this cattle uh, recover. But if it's beyond uh, and it's brutal to the animal uh, to suffer like this, she 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 would tell us, and then we'd have to go through it. Um, it's, it's and that's the key, difficult. isn't yeah. it? Is mm. it cruel oh, yeah. and brutal to the animal to keep it alive? And um, you mentioned earlier about some of the decisions that farmers are having to make at the moment if they can't feed their cattle and actually they're going to be, it's going to be cruel to the, to the cattle to feed it. Mm. it. The kindest thing to do is to put it down. Well, yeah, or, or, or sell it to somebody who's in an area um, yes. where there's more fodder. And, yes. and in New South Wales, as you go towards the east coast, yes, there still is Fodder, yes. of grass available from Lismore right across to Bellingen. It's getting even it's getting dry in those areas, yeah. but that's the, that's another alternative which you have. Now I saw some criticism about farm farmer farmers management capabilities in one of these articles that uh, yep. that we we read, um, and that's a that, that's look that's a, that's a bit unfair. It's a, um, 
it, it's it's not as nothing simple in in yeah. farming. It's it's very basic. Um, how to put it? Uh, uh, um, attachment to the to, to our food bowl, mm. but it's but at the same time, uh, farmers are extremely knowledgeable. Mm. And you pointed that out. Yeah, they is. they know a lot about animals. They know a lot about the you know the, the 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 way in which to 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 feed them during these droughts and some people say well why didn't you get rid of them you know a year or two before you could have or a year before because you could have foreseen that this was going to happen well it's it it's you we don't have that kind of forecasting here yet and it's not that simple no, is no. it yeah. Uh, when we when we understand more about weather forecasting drought forecasting and specifically uh, we have to um we will get better management for farmers too. We are going to have a recap now. How can we be of support? Hugh, tell us how um, we can support that, that financial support that the farmers could get from government. Well, the, the, the big one in Australia is called the Farm Management Deposit Scheme, FMDs they call them, and it's actually uh, run by the by the Australian Tax Office. Uh, what this does, it allows farmers to set aside income in their good years and put it into a deposit, which is in, in a bank. It's got to be in a bank or, or a credit union. It's a deemed uh, um, deposit thing. And they, they get a tax deduction for whatever money they put into that at the time when they put the money in. That's a tax deduction against their income of the, at the day they put it or the year they put it into the uh, deposit. Yes. When they're bad times, they can pull out that, that those funds. That's what they're there for, and it becomes taxable income. So obviously, they pay tax on, on on that on the amount that they pull out, in some future time when they're having a difficult time. Yeah. Now that scheme is at currently limited to eight hundred thousand per farm. And you can have many deposits in the farm, but the total aggregate is 800000 Now, I do know there are advocates out there suggesting this should be raised, and I agree with that, to, say, $2 million max. So that they could put $2 million in, yeah, as a, in as the good a, times. as a good time so get, that if they need it in the bad yeah, times. Yeah, but they get the tax deduction yep. immediately yes. when they put those, those funds in. Yep. So this is, this is like um, what, what we call the pre-tax... Uh, um, deposit, okay. And would that m- make a difference in terms of the <coughs> funding that that people get when they're in difficulty? Would they be means tested? Would that be part well, of that? Well, I know there's criticisms, and and the answers of uh, there is obviously we know there's rotting going on, just like there is in Centrelink and so on. Whatever there's a scheme going, if the if the government of the day doesn't get legislation right and doesn't get the the monitoring uh, a body to monitor it properly, then yes, you're going to get rotting. Um, My view, there should be some kind of means testing. Uh, That should clearly uh, be legislated with proper uh, clauses Mm. so that uh, the means testing doesn't have loopholes Mm. and doesn't have absurd clauses in, which we have a habit of doing, by the way. Um, So you're right, but it needs to be looked at uh, with 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 good intent, so the the people who need the money yep. don't get the money. lose out. Right, perfect. The people who who are rorting, 
shouldn't get it. Yeah, mm. perfect. So mm. that's one little package of what we can and do. I, I'm sorry, just tell you this. At the moment, there are 55,000 FMDs in Australia. That's nearly $6 billion Australian dollars. So that, that that is actually working. Okay, and that's as at the end of 2017. It's a very good scheme. That's great mm. news. Great mm. news. Mm. Chris, tell me um, or tell us about your... Uh, your work—it's got to be plan. a mad, mad, mad idea. It's, it's a mad, mad, mad one. Yes, <laughs> of course. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm not a political man, but I'm just going to put this out there. And I've, I've, someone said to me, "So, you know, if you could do something, what would you do?" Um, and I, I think, and I'm not having a pop at the government, but maybe I am. Um, we can mobilise fifty, twenty, fifty thousand troops within 48 hours and send them off to another shore yes. to police a problem. Why can't we mobilise half that number and put them out to our farms? I'm absolutely convinced if you spoke to any of those soldiers, would you want for a week, every month, go on a farm, when you think of it, they've got engineers, they've got hydraulic experts, they've got, you know, every trade that you could want to help on a farm. Go and work on a farm. Wow, that would be working as a community, Chris, wouldn't it? I think I'm using sarcasm there, but that would be a really good idea. You know, why can't we do that? We could do that. Why cannot... I can't believe we can't do that. And yes, we're not fighting a a war, but we are fighting a battle against Mother Nature. And when Mother Nature kicks off, you've got to fight back. Well, we've irritated Mother Nature, I suspect, and now we've got to suffer those consequences of that. But if we actually plant seeds that are slightly more harmonious and perhaps not send our troops overseas and and maybe actually have have a working party where we actually work together um, in harmony with the land, it, it saddens me that we think that that's you know alternative thinking because it isn't it's about working as a community and it's not saying that you know we're going to let everything happen overseas and just focus on ourselves not Not at all but we actually could rather than sitting within some barracks and doing some training why not go into the land and actually work about think about working as a partnership and not leaving anyone behind at the moment we're leaving our food bowl behind and that's very dangerous Yep, yep And, and and at the end of the day, people said, oh, you know, there's lots of paperwork to go through. Stuff the paperwork. Yeah. You know, these are Australians. This is our country. Let's do something for them. Oh, anyway, God. my initiative. I like it. My initiative is not that, <laughs> but it's to mobilise all of us in communities. So um, whether you can clean, whether you can paint, as long as you've got a heart, some good arm, uh, strong hands... Uh, we want to hear from you, and we will be look what look on our website and on our Facebook for ways of contacting us. Um, I've made this pledge to the farmers that I spoke to, and particularly to Chris and his family and his children. Um, and I said we will return, and I'll come with five, I'll come with ten, I'll come with twenty, fifty, two hundred, whatever. So I will bring these trades. We've actually got a hub where we're going to station everyone we're going to put them out in teams to the farms depending on the needs of those farms and we will return every day to that hub debrief and then go out again okay. the plan is we're going to go up on a thursday we're going to work first well friday saturday sunday monday come back on the tuesday and speaking to chris i said would that help he went that would be absolutely amazing mm. just to have and he dared to think that he could go to watches some play soccer with his wife because he's mm. never done it. Mm. 
So it's the little things. So we, I, you know me, Lucy, if I'm saying I'm going to do it, I will do this. Might be quite good to do it in the school holidays because then you might get some young people able to go and actually see some work as well yeah. and play with their kids. Yes, yeah. And just do socialising, which is, uh, and again... And I said, I said to uh, Denise, Chris's wife, you know, what about, what about if we cleaned... The yeah. house is yeah. amazing. She, she said, because I don't have the time. Yeah. Just don't have time. No. So okay. that, Fabulous. Look Great at the initiative. Website. How can they find that? Facebook, United, United Trades website, and on the probably the Facebook, it'll be on United okay. Trades over the next few weeks. All and right. Caterers, coach companies, I'll be knocking on your door shortly. Yeah, watch out. Watch <laughs> out. Chris is coming. Now, um, is it worth going to farmers markets and making sure that when we buy our fruit and veg, we're really conscious of where we're buying it from and not moaning too much about what we're paying, but understanding that if you get it from the right source, so if you go to a butcher and buy your meat, that actually the chances are they're taking it from a farmer and pay, and might need to pay more to get it. Oh, um, we've I, got we've got precisely three minutes. Yep, yep <laughs> I've, I've I have looked at that. That has been studied quite well. Look, um, I, I I do like the idea, but don't forget, farmers do sell their product as we do through cooperatives. Like in Coffs Harbour has a cooperative, goes through the markets in Sydney, and they end up in supermarkets here too. So wherever you go. Um, it, you, buy Australian. That's critical, and do check it because we do have product that does, including fresh product that comes in from overseas. Look, buy Australian. Okay. Okay. Farmers markets great, but uh, if you into organic and all that stuff, you you really don't know what the what the process has been. Uh, you do need it certified if you want organic. I mean, okay. That, are, That's good to yeah. know. Mm-hmm. So, top tip, buy no, Australian. Buy Australian. Yeah, buy Australian. I'm looking at it pouring with rain outside <laughs> yeah. and just and, going... And if you, if, you, if you do buy organic, just buy what you can afford because organic is a lot more expensive. Yes. You do not need everything organic. Okay. Okay. Good top tip. Right. So thank you both very much. Thank you, Hugh, for coming in, for um, knowing, letting me know that we have a wealth of, of, of more information that we could put out there and wisdom. And thank you very much, Chris, That's for sharing with us. I, I, I know the world is in a good place when I've got some like people out there <laughs> doing what you're doing because we're not going to be Thank quiet. you for what you do for the community. Thank you. And Lucy, you're, you're truly an inspiration to the community for what you're doing. Absolutely. We appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you yeah. very much. Well, hopefully I just respond to a call and then just don't keep my mouth shut. That's, I, 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 live, <laughs> I live by the, um, by the uh, and, and it was an expression I heard somewhere, if not me, then who, and if not now, then when. And I've lived by that for the last six or seven years and I just felt I can sit by and complain about something or I can actually be part of the change I want to see in the world. I, I, I know, time's short, quick one. I heard a, a saying, it was like, not one man can change the world, but cha- help someone in need and you can change their world. This isn't a quick fix. It affects um, the fodder, it affects the weight of the animals, it affects the animal's fertility, which clearly reduces a farmer's income for three to five years, a ripple effect that, I mean, we're going to see throughout rural areas on our food tables and our costs through um, when we go shopping. Buy Australian is our top tip from today. And care for each other. Put your hand up and be prepared to either put some cash in a um, in a bucket for rotary, go online and support it that way. Or um, if you can't, but you have time that you can offer, go on to the um, 
United Tradies website and offer your time there. Once again, we have a situation that we have neglected for a while and now needs urgent attention. So what foundations can we lay that will sow seeds for sustainable farming and farmers in the future? How are we going to parent the next generation? I look forward to catching up. Happy Father's Day. Thank you very much for being amazing fathers in our lives. Tune in to Triple H 100.1 FM next week, 8.30, or listen via the uh, Stay in the Loop with Lucy podcast. It's always pertinent to remind ourselves that whatever has or is happening in our lives, we are and always will be us, constantly learning. But underneath in our essence, we are amazing. The key is to reconnect to that space and learn to build a relationship with our body that holds that essence so that we can recognize when our body is trying to tell us something's not quite right and then seek support with the appropriate support service, be that mental or physical health. I have found that by listening and responding, we can build tools to address what we don't yet feel equipped to manage because, of course, most likely we do have the skills in there, we just don't have the confidence to apply them. Look for support in the community. It is there. So time to open up to that support and learn to trust again. That way, we don't wait for life to come to us, but we take ourselves to life and we be the change we want to see. Till next week's show, be kind, be caring, be love, be all of you. You've been listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM.